This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello and welcome back to Florida Foodie. I'm Candace Campos. And I'm Lisa Bell. Today's guest is arguably one of Florida's most well-known chefs. He is the author of several cookbooks and has been recognized numerous times by the James Beard Foundation. Recently, he reopened his namesake restaurant in a new location in Central Florida. Yes, yeah, so and we are so happy to be joined now with a Chef Norman Van Aken, which you said, it's not, don't, don't elaborate, it's just Americanized, Van Aken. Right. <laughs> well, thank you so yes. much for joining us. It's a pleasure. You are originally from Illinois, yes. but you've been in Florida for a long time. Absolutely, yeah. My mom and dad would bring me and my sisters down to Miami Beach when we were toddlers. And I just got the bug for tropical weather as an infant. And uh, when I turned 19, I had a friend who had moved to Key West. And I was done with winter. <laughs> and uh, I said to some buddies, where's our friend again? They said, Key West. I said, anybody want to go to Key West? And they said, yeah, let's go. I said, when do you want to go? They said, let's go tonight. So we just went to Key West. This was 1971. And uh, in 73, I, I moved to Key West and um, with my girlfriend. And um, we began, she began working in restaurants. I began working in restaurants. And so we've had this relationship with Florida ever entire lives. Yeah, Except I mean, for that first 19 years. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those things, you don't have to shovel the heat, but you do have to shovel the snow, right? That's what everyone always says when they're complaining about the heat here in, in Florida. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, we still have family up there, and all you have to do is go back there in January, and you're freshly reminded <laughs> of how painful winter can be. Yeah. So you fell in love with the warm weather at an early age. When did you fall in love with cooking and food? Yeah. yeah. Well, I know I fell in love with cooking as a child, but I had no understanding, inkling that being a chef was a road for a person like me. No one spoke about that growing up in Illinois, northern Illinois, almost Wisconsin. You know, people in that area might have been school teachers if they were smart, but most of us, you know, bricklayers and uh, cops and um, my mom was a waitress and she loved the business. When she married my father, she stopped that because she had raised the kids. But when they split up, not too many years later, she went back into the restaurant business. But still, it was like, that was somewhere out there. That was not my life. I did, though, um, after my brief sojourn into college, um, and knew that I was uh, going to be not draftable again, or draftable, I was like, well, okay, what now? So I began to get the jobs in the area. Those were factory jobs. Um, so I worked in a glass factory shoveling glass onto a conveyor belt. I worked as a hot tar roofer. Hot like this outside, but <laughs> up on a roof. Yeah. Um, I worked as a carny. Uh, I went from town to town with a buddy. And we were just kids, you know. We were just like... Right. Trying was, things out. Trying things yeah. out and just like living that kind not of gonna life. Not going to do that. Not yeah. going to do that. Well, yeah. you know, it's funny you should say that because I, I was working the carnival one day no, one night, we were, we were breaking the carny down, and um, I worked the Ferris wheel. And they asked me if I wouldn't mind climbing up on the wheel to mm -hmm. move a, 
one of the little chairs out of the way so a truck could pull through. I was like, no sweat. I was a gymnast in high school. I monkeyed up there to do that. Unfortunately, the Ferris wheel wasn't properly grounded <gasps> for electricity, and I became totally stuck under that wheel until I kicked myself off, and one of the carny workers saved my life by catching me from hitting the asphalt. Oh. So I took that off the jobs to keep <laughs> list. And, that, and then the other, I mentioned the job as the hot tar roofer, and um, oh, I was miserable, just the smell and the stickiness, and oh, it was dust. And then one afternoon, I was working uh, with a crew of seven or eight of us lunatics uh, up on the roof, and a giant summer rainstorm came rolling, and we could see it like a movie, you know. And we were like, Whoo! and then it hit, and everybody ran down, slid down the ladders, ran to their trucks. Yeah, great, great. Not me. I got down the ladder, but I, then I got in the grass of the football field of the high school, and I rolled around like a puppy in the grass, like, oh, it's the best. And then my boss, I, when I was rolling, I hit the boss's legs, and then he was like, we don't need your kind around here, Van Aken. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. And he, he's looking down at me through his sunglasses, and I was like, good, neither do I. <laughs> and so then I was like halfway home to the rented house that I was stayed at with like six or seven other guys, you know, at this time. And I went, oh, rent's coming any minute, isn't it? So I went, and I, there was one of these newspapers that you would go and get and look for jobs. That was the whole reason. For the, or you could maybe buy a, a motor or a lawnmower or something mm -hmm. like that, that kind of a newspaper. And um, <clears throat> I took it back to the place that we rented, and I sat on the kitchen table and began looking through the one ads, and there was this one ad that said, short order cook needed, no experience necessary. Bingo. I circled that thing and I went, what the heck? So I, I, um, I went there the next morning, tied my, I had long hair, tied about long as yours. <laughs> Almost as long as yours. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting to see like, yeah, as yeah. long as hers. <laughs> <laughs> and I tied it up and stuck it behind my high school sweater I dug out of a drawer. And um, I filled out the application sitting there at the diner's stool. And, uh, they looked at it and they looked at me and they said, "Okay, you can come tomorrow and start. You start at you know seven thirty, no six thirty a.m." And I was like, "Oh my God, <laughs> this is real!" And I got home. Then I realized six thirty. That means I got to be up at like five. Got back in the car and went to a hardware store and bought an alarm clock. Oh goodness! Yeah. So <laughs> that was the very um, humble beginnings of my culinary career. And I, you know, you asked how long before I got the bug. And, I'll, and in truth, it took me years because I, I didn't know, I mean, this was before the Food Network. This was before the James Beard Foundation. Mm -hmm. This was not a life where people thought, well, being a chef would be great. My, you know, my girlfriend's father would dig that. No, not really. Mm -hmm. um, and so... Uh, it has changed over the years, oh and now that you've mentioned it. Yeah. I, you, know, you don't think about that, but it does. And when I got to this one restaurant in Key West, I, you know... I started to see it. I started to see the possibility working with other people that had graduated from schools for the very first time. This was happening in around, this was around 78, and or had worked in Europe, especially, you know, those people were generally older folks. And this melange of people that were working in this kitchen in the Pier House uh, Hotel and Resort in Key West, that was the first glimpse I had of, like, this could be a career. This could be something. My aspirations were more about being a writer than anything. I didn't know about being a chef. But I could see um, somehow this thing colliding with both the ability to be artistic and the 
cook. I knew how to cook. Mm -hmm. You know, you, when you work in a diner or, or, a, or a busy barbecue place like I did also, you learn how to move like a, a, you know, an athlete. You could be fast and you get all that, that stuff down, but you don't know very much at all about the classics. Mm -hmm. And that began to be shown to me in this restaurant, Key West. And I was like hooked, like falling in love hooked. I was like, okay, I gotta start buying books. I gotta get some knives, you know. I, but I was working very little money, so I couldn't race to that. But I, I, was, I was always good at reading, and so I began to read. And tying together the reading with the working, then I got this education. Yeah. I almost went to school, and my chef actually you know, wrote a letter for me to go to school, the CIA in Hyde Park, uh, New York. Um, but then she changed her mind and said, heck with that, I want you to, I'll give you a raise, you'll be the sous chef, and I'll teach you everything I learned in school. Mm -hmm. So that took me to that path. And I mean, you're... It's termed founding father of new world cuisine. Mm -hmm. You went all the way there. I mean, why? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How did you get that that name, founding father? Well, people who write articles need to say things. You know? <laughs> uh, don't don't be humble. <laughs> Come on. Um, well, there, you know, I don't know how much time we have, but there's a period of time where new American cuisine began mm -hmm. to be recognized around. 76, coinciding with the, uh, the uh, anniversary of America, the 500th anniversary of America, right? And people began to stop being slavish emulators of French cuisine and feeling like, hey, you know what? We're Americans. We should do American things too. And that began with like the California cuisine movement, people like Alice Waters, uh, Wolfgang Puck, although of course he's from overseas, but he loved California produce. And then there were the people in the American Southwest that were doing Southwestern, modern Southwestern cuisine. And Paul Prudhomme was lighting it up in New Orleans with his Black and Red Fish and Commander's Palace. And here I was in Key West seeing all this stuff, primarily through magazines, because it was before television was covering it, and thinking, well, they're doing it there. Do I need to move there so I can do it there? And then it hit me, I should not do that. I should bring it here, mm -hmm. do something representational of what Florida is all about. And um, because of my love of things like history and literature and all that, I guess that was prepared mentally to kind of go in that direction too. And I also, you know, it was always very clear that I wanted to make my own menus and do my own, have my own voice for whatever I did. And it didn't have a name. No one called it New World Cuisine. Um, and then we were at a meeting with a public relations firm, and they said there was a few of us that were cooking in a similar fashion. Mm -hmm. This was 1990-something, 90, in Florida, in Miami. And uh, his name was Ron Sampiero, and he worked for a big hotel group. And he said, you know, there's the American Southwestern food movement, there's the California food movement. You, chef, should brand yourself somehow or another. And that was a little over my head, a little out of reach, and I was like, mm, what will we call it? And you know, and somebody um, posited the idea of calling it the Mango Gang, and I'm like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> no, actually, they said Mango Mafia the first time, and the lawyer in the room said, no, 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 you're not doing that. <laughs> and I went back, and I was, by this time, reading a book, which is a huge book for me, by a gentleman named Raymond Sokoloff, who was a New Yorker that wrote this book called Why We Eat the Way We Eat, and it was a brilliant book, slim book, but Brilliant. I mean, I still have that book, and it's underlined like crazy. 
And it really was about how the cuisines between Europe and the Americas changed so dramatically between Columbus's arrival and then within a short space of 100 years after that. Because quickly, and you could see that, is that with the traders who followed the, the discoverers, you know, there became ways for people to transport goods and make lots of money mm -hmm. in doing that. And the, the hunger for things that were available in the New World, things like chocolate and chilies and things like that, things that they didn't know they were hungry for, but that perked up their somewhat bland food, like the chocolate right here. <laughs> Which I'm, you're talking and all I can do is smell I can smell yeah, that. Yes, it is yeah. so good. <laughs> so it was, it was dramatic to see how Europe was changed by America and America was changed by Europe. And then, of course, we have this other thing with had which had so much to do with um, the slave trade and how that affected the cuisine of America and the lives of so many. And so all these things created such a rich treasure chest for me to investigate. Mm -hmm. And I began to put that hat on to try and figure out what it would be. And having Key West already been in my experience, because I moved from Key West to Miami with my wife uh, in 89, and... Uh, I had this long period of time with Key West, which I think was really a benefit for me, because I got to get to know my voice mm -hmm. in the off-off-Broadway way, rather than be in the big city and have other people tell me, oh no, you gotta do Dover Soul with Maine Lobster and caviar <laughs> and truffles. And I was, I was cooking much more in a, in a localized island way down there. And I'd, been, I'd gotten four stars in the Miami Herald. I'd gotten the cook my cookbook contract from a division of Random House. Nobody had written a cookbook at all in Florida preceding a chef proceeding to me. So things were moving okay. along. Yeah. And it's my understanding you actually coined the term fusion cuisine. I did, I did, yes. Um, and that came from me reacting to very strongly to a book even preceding Sokolov's book um, called Unculture and Cuisine. Uh, by a Frenchman. You might think I'm some sort of a college-educated show-off here, but I just, I'm curious. And so when reading that book, which I discovered in this bookstore in Key West, I, it was a historic book about the way the life of cuisine has changed over the centuries. And this writer, a Frenchman, he his basic thing was mankind, womankind, has gone back and forth in sort of a, he called it a lover's quarrel, between high-end, fancy, elaborate food to rustic maternal food. Back, forth, the argument went on, the dance went on, the lover's quarrel went on, and he was talking about it in this way with the arc of history going back and forth through time. I felt like, well, why do I have to choose between one and the other? I was learning how to work with things that were... Um, high-end chef food, if you will, but I was always loving the flavors of um, plantains and mafungo and black beans mm -hmm. and the local seafood and the local tropical goods. And so instead of choosing one side of the coin, heads or tails, I decided to choose the flipping coin, the turning coin. Mm -hmm. And in the margin of that book, and I still have that, I, where he wrote about the lover's quarrel at one time, and then he wrote the word of marriage, I wrote a fusion. And then it's like, you know, that movie, Close Encounters of the, of the Third Kind? Yeah, yeah. You remember how he got obsessed with the shape of that mountain and he was building on mashed potatoes out of it? You know, he was, he was something was happening with him where he was transfixed <laughs> over the idea of this 
this information. I became transfixed over the idea of describing where I wanted to go with my cuisine, and I began to write a paper. And I spent months uh, in between everything else I was doing as a chef in this little restaurant, Key West, writing this thing for myself, for myself to kind of figure out where I wanted to go next. I didn't want to follow a bunch of other people's work and be, you know, just repeating what they had done. And so I wrote this paper, it was only a page and a half, called Unfusion Cooking. And it was about how I, my intention, mm-hmm. very intentional to, to marry the high end with the rustic. And then coincidentally, some folks were put, put together a, um, a uh, network out in of, of, uh, of chefs and restaurateurs that took place in Santa Fe, a, a congress, if you will on the new American cuisine. And they asked me to join uh, three other chefs on stage for one of the hour-long presentations. There were chefs coming and going, wine people coming and going, everybody doing different presentations on this stage in Santa Fe that weekend. With me on stage that day, people will know at least one, if not all, of these uh, chefs. There was um, there was uh, Lydia Shire from Boston, maybe not so well-known here, but great chef. Um, Tom Douglas from Seattle, and then Emeril Lagasse, mm-hmm. Emeril, and then Charlie Trotter from Chicago. The organizer said, we want you to describe why you cook the way you cook. And I was like, what would I say? I've never made a presentation <laughs> mm-hmm. or a speech. And then I looked at the paper one day, I went, maybe I'll just read that. And that's the way it rolled. There were a bunch of journalists that were there in the audience that day, and one of them, a woman named Regina Shrambling, picked it up, and that went on a wire, and that spread across the United oh, yeah. States. And it is amazing. And so from there, you then decided to go to the next level and start opening your own restaurants. Yeah, I was really fortunate the way life was unfolding for me. People were making way for chefs around the United States to um, create um, you know, personalized vision, um, you know, regional cuisine, but personalized cuisine, and this was an explosion. And um, we had some, uh, we had a good uplift with the economy at that point in time. And I was ready. Uh, I got into, from Key West to the mainland, and I took a job on Ocean Drive in a, a storied hotel there. And I was, I was the chef, and it seemed to people probably that I was the owner, but I wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just, oh my God, I was so in fire at this point with, you know, realizing my dreams, what I wanted to do. I'd already written the first book, but I wanted to write another one. And, um, and then I had an explosive, explosive argument with the owner who was really, I think, Al Pacino's character model for Tony (laughs) Montana. I do. We got into a fight, I mean a fist fight, on the beach that Mickey Rourke refereed. I'm not kidding. Yeah. Oh, that's not a saying. That's really what happened. That happened. Okay. Mickey Rourke was living in the hotel. It was uh, South Beach in the early 90s, yeah. okay? So that crashed, and I was um, really down and broke, and I had a contract to write my third book at that time. And uh, so I began to write the book, but then one night I went to, went to dinner with my lawyer friend. And we walked into this very popular restaurant in Coral Gables, and a gentleman was sitting there waiting for his table. He said, are you Norman Van Aken? And I said, yes. He goes, well, uh, my name is Teddy Gilman, and if you would like to do your own restaurant, I will be your first investor. No. Wow. 
Well, that makes it easy. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, was like, I still get goosebumps just yeah. thinking about the way, I mean, I can still remember he was here, I was here, I was wearing this coat, and he, was, he was in a coat and tie. But it, everything happened yes. perfectly right at that moment. Did. Yes, everything happened. Well, the tremendous setbacks too, which mm -hmm. were all in this mm -hmm. memoir that of I course. wrote. But yeah, it, it. my mom would say, son, when one door closes, another door opens. Right. Amen. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, so you have Normans here in Orlando. Yes. Well, just flash forward 20 years now, yeah. <laughs> Maybe 30. With a stint at the Ritz-Carlton. Yeah. Stint of 16 years. Yeah. And then also, which I remember, 1921 in mm -hmm. Mount, Mount Dora, Dora. for yep. a couple of years. Absolutely. Three yeah. years. Yeah. Yes. And I even did a spin back to Key West for a big project down there. Mm -hmm. But my whole thing has always been, from the very beginning, from writing the first cookbook, was I felt like it was important to give voice to Florida. I think there are people who do a magnificent job doing mm -hmm. things for New York City or Los Angeles, California. You know, they have their chefs and they have their voice for those things. But to find representation for what we have here, which is a great place to cook. In Florida, we have a, it's a great place to cook because there are so many different influences, so many different immigration uh, marriages, things that come together in different ways, the fish, the vegetables, the, the tubers. It's fantastic, yeah. the fruits. So you opened Norman's in Central Florida on Restaurant Row uh, earlier this year in right. February of 2023. How is that different from you know the place you had at Ritz-Carlton or 1921? If people haven't been to Norman's yet, what can they expect when they walk through the door? Mm -hmm. Well, physically it's a lot different because the Ritz-Carlton is going to be a Ritz-Carlton restaurant with you know marble and, and all of the kind of old school feel to yeah. it, which is a fantastic opportunity that came my way again by a door opening one night gentleman came into the restaurant we had in Miami would you talk to us about doing a Norman's at the Ritz Carlton in Orlando that we're building right now I thought the guy was just celebrating a little bit too much in Miami that day <laughs> but he called me the next day and said I wasn't kidding so that door opened but um, what's different is uh, you know we have we have two experiences if you will we have the the beautiful dining room, although in a much more modern sense, if you will, than the Ritz-Carlton dining room, which I loved. But with the new place, we have a much different feeling. And But the thing that's very different is we have this terrace that goes out outside. So mm -hmm. as the cooler weather comes, we're going to be finding many more guests loving to be out there. And uh, we have two private party rooms, which aren't great, but we are already booking parties for the terrace that seats more like 80 rather than 20. So very different in that way. From a menu standpoint, it is um, a mixture. I liken it to, uh, oftentimes to, if you went to go see um, the Eagles play, for instance, would you not want them to play Hotel California? Right. Of course you'd want you'd them to play. You'd be disappointed, right, yes. Name your, they want some hits. Yes. And they want, and uh, the people who come there now, uh, it's a, it's different. They're much more of a neighborhood situation, so a lot of people are coming back, you know, two weeks later. Whereas at the Ritz, it was a lot of people that were there for business and were in town for this was their their right. one time a year in yeah. town. It was something extra special. Extra. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the thing that makes us different is that we have this new world cuisine. Versus, we're not a steakhouse. We're not a lobster place. We're not, you know, uh, we're not an Italian trattoria. We're not those things. We are, our menu. It's distinct. As soon as people read that menu, 
they kind of will go, this is different. Mm -hmm. I'm interested, you know, but you have to give, you know, you have to make sure you give everybody a chance too. So there is going to be a, a steak for the people who want a simple steak and a beautiful piece of fish for people who want a beautiful piece of fish. But I, I, I don't want to ever, um, you know, I'm not chain. I'm not a chain. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm a person. Yeah. As a result, I mean, how often do you change the menu? It, it, we're finding that the neighbors really are eager for us to change certain things often. And, but what we also do, so we've changed things every two weeks. Now, there, there are dishes that are part of the... The staples, the, the hits. The hits. Yes. Right. The legacy of Norman's <laughs> yes. is always going to include the, the pan-cooked filet of Key West Yellowtail, which I put on my Instagram thing today because a beautiful version of it came through and I said it's the best selling dish ever in our history I'm not going to toss this out yeah. it would kill me <laughs> the yuca stuffed crispy shrimp the Brazilian conch chowder these are things that are going to be there but then you know I'm always with my chefs and with our vendor purveyors folks farmers and we're talking 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 like well this is going out of season well let's fold this in what about this we we did an episode yesterday for my um, series coming up, Nor Norman's Florida Kitchen, and the um, the script, there was no script. The, the camera folks, my producer, uh, was like, I just want you to huddle with your team, talk about what Mamie's delivered on the truck, and then I want to see how you guys and girls talk to each other right. about the creation of a dish. So that is that episode, and it, it felt like it wasn't acting. It was just us talking right. the way we normally would talk. So that's how it changes. The second way that changes very programmatically is that we do chef's tasting menu that roughly changes around every month, depending on things in season. So another part of our day, this visit, has been um, refining those five dishes. It's a five-course tasting menu with wine flights optional. Oof. So when good. I was uh, visiting it, uh, 1921, when you were still uh -huh. affiliated with that restaurant in Mount Dora. I think I was there, if I remember correctly, for Magical Dining. And I ordered off the Magical Dining mm -hmm. menu, which was fantastic. Mm -hmm. But I, I feel like I recall a lot of people eating paella and me having a lot of envy uh, <laughs> about it. <Yeah. laughs> she still remembers this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it, at the time, too, it was something you had to kind of call ahead in special order. Do you still do things like that where... Call ahead special order? Yeah. Not currently. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But if somebody says, you know, I am a, a vegan. Right. And they tell us in advance, that's great because we would like to have the chance to maybe do some like marinade on something that takes a little longer. They come in yes. and they want to eat 10 minutes later, then I got to yes. I got to factor that in. Makes yeah. sense. And so you were saying that obviously you love your books and you love writing. So you have several cookbooks? 7. 7. Yeah. That's a lot of cookbooks. <laughs> I mean, what keeps you going when writing those cookbooks? That's is a it, lot of work. That is a lot yeah. of work. Well, as I said earlier on the show, it's like I, I, thought, about being, I thought I'd be a writer before I'd be a, right. a, a chef. And, um, and so I, I like the storytelling, and I like the research. Mm. And, um, I like, and I found that by writing the books, it also gave me a tremendous amount of um, data for my chefs to be able to well, here's the recipe, and we tested this recipe like 20 times, and so this is going to be a part of the new menu, so it's not like me going, you know, I put this much Worcestershire and this much mustard, and I'll be, you know, we'll see what that tastes like. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I like to be more organized Like a Norman that. University. Yeah. Chef Norman University. You know, that's University. funny. That's exactly what some people have called it <laughs> over the years. 
Yeah. Um, so you brought some brownies today, which, as yeah. we mentioned, smell amazing right now. Do you love to bake as well? Or I do love yeah. to bake, but our pastry chef, Gloria Ann Rivera, she's the one that made the brownies. And I would love to be able to say I baked these for you, but I, Gloria Ann's uh, credit for those. And they are gorgeous. They smell so good. What goes into this? Do you know, or is it all, you know, her There's secret like, recipe? She, we have no secrets. She was, <laughs> she was my pastry chef in 1921. Okay. Fact. Yeah. I mean, the family and the band sort of stayed together over different things. And mm -hmm. so there have been people that, our chef de cuisine, Carlos Robles Molina, he has been with me for 14 years. Wow. So when you have people. Moving that, over from the Ritz. Yeah. yeah. So when you have people that have been with you for this period of time, you have a almost unspoken ability to communicate. Yes. There's some new people too. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the excitement. I want to try one of these. Let's go. Go, go for it. I want you to try them too. <laughs> oh, ladies first. Um, so what's next? I mean, it feels like you're always having something down the pipeline. What, what's next for, for your for restaurants, for cookbooks, for your special? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, this will be the first time we're going to be going into the full winter season. Mm -hmm. So what's next in many ways is dealing with the what we know will be the major uptick in business oh, yeah. and the uh, maturation of our party business. Because, you know, if you've booked parties, and I'm sure you both have, usually you're making your decisions six months beforehand. Yes, at the and latest. Since, and yes. since we didn't, we didn't know when we get our license and our permitting and all that done. Oh, my um, God. I feel like these brownies are going to be I didn't awesome. mean to interrupt you. It's just a little... Holiday party list. And yeah. we, we were out of hashish. So I'm giving you two napkins because I just touched. <laughs> I might these like twenty of them. Put one on my plate. Oh my god, uh, these are so good. Yes, okay. this might be the best brownie I've ever had. Mm. I'll tell her. Actually, she'll listen mm. to the show. There's some crunch on top. There's crunch on yeah, top. Yeah, these are these are crunchy little chocolate doodads. And then it's like ooey gooey. This is amazing. Is that caramel? Mm -hmm. what, yeah. Mm -hmm. It is finger licking good. Oh my God. And there's like caramel oozing out of the center of it. I know. It appears. They'll be oozing out of the center of my me soon. <laughs> right? <laughs> she made another dessert for us this morning that's going to go on the new tasting menu. That has, it was like a churros, mm -hmm. you know, carnival food, but done through Glorianne's lens and similar chocolate and, um, and caramel at the same time, which is always hit, plus some homemade vanilla ice cream, which I love that warm and then mm. the cold mm -hmm. at the same time. I can't even imagine this with like warm with ice cream. I don't want to mm -hmm. eat this anymore because I want to enjoy this. I hear I just, you. Mm -hmm. My lord, this is so good. Thank you. What is your favorite dessert item on the menu? I know that the guest's favorite item right now is the flancocho. And uh, that is a, a hybrid idea that Gloriana has come up with and they're just raving about it. I'm dining at the restaurant um, tonight. So, so what um, will you order? I don't know. Um, I know chefs want me to um, try different things, so mm -hmm. that's okay. Yeah. And when you that's dine there, do you go have. back into the kitchen? Of course. Okay. Yeah. You go incognito? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> like a With like a big diner. mustache, yeah. <laughs> I don't think they'd be fooled. <laughs> oh, chef. Come on now, chef. What is the most popular item on the menu? The yellowtail has always been the most okay. popular item on the menu, but you know, it's a thing about our restaurant is that it's fascinating. If I was to sit around a table with the people who have worked with me over the like the last 25 years, 
we could have eight of us there, they would be arguing with each other as to what was the best dish. There could be eight different choices. So it's not going to be, they're not going to say, yelltail, yelltail across the board. Yeah. yeah. Somebody's going to say the yelltail, somebody else is going to say the Roman pepper painted grouper, somebody else is going to say the barbecued Mongolian veal chop, or they're going to choose appetizers. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a body of work. I mean, I've been doing this a long time. Yeah. And so there is a body of work. And um, no, it's not the paella uh, by itself. I mean, <laughs> I, she needs the paella. I know. <laughs> We do paella. Yeah. And matter of fact, we, uh, one of the menu categories in the original restaurant was pastas and paellas because we were into it. We had these beautiful wood-burning ovens that we could do that with. Something about the presentation of paella. I, I don't know. I see it, and I want it. I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to go order it. And gonna, it's not on the menu. Though. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Where can people find you online? Well, they can go to www.normansorlando.com. That's the restaurant. And then my own personal, which is a mixture of things about the books and about my upcoming video series, um, which is my name, Norman Van Aken, WWO, all that. Mm -hmm. yeah. We really appreciate you coming here and chatting with us today. Thank you. Uh, you have become a household name in Central Florida mm -hmm. and across the country, really, but certainly in Orlando. And uh, we appreciate that this is delicious. And I can't wait to have even more in the very near future. <laughs> Beginning with some paella. Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes. So nice meeting you. Nice to meet you both. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Now we can really sit down and enjoy <laughs> Thank you for listening to Florida Foodie. We'd also like to thank our guest, Chef Norman Van Aken. You can find his business online at normans.com and normanvanaken.com. Be sure to follow Lisa Bell online, search Lisa Bell News on Facebook and Instagram, or Lisa Bell News 6 on Twitter. You can also find Candace Campos on social media. She's on Twitter, just search at Candace News 6. On Facebook, search Candace Campos News 6. And on Instagram, search Candace Campos WX. Also, a big thank you to our technical producers, Derek Mosier and Ryan Haley, and our director, Bob Myers. I'm the show's producer, Thomas Mates. Please take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you stream podcasts. And you can find videos of all of our podcasts on clickorlando.com and YouTube. Just search for Florida Foodies.